Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKenty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the members' forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKenty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKenty. This interview was recorded on May 7th, 2021. My conversation today is with self-sabotage coach Ted Hainick of Hainick's Health. In this follow-up to my interview with Jason Kristoff, The Shift continues to dive into emotional health-related issues in order to develop an understanding of the root causes of today's societal ills. As two weeks to flatten the curve turned into well over a year of lockdown, many of us wonder why the vast majority are satisfied to follow the whims of authority rather than insist on living in a free society. Not only that, but when confronted with ideas from outside the corporate government narrative, many seem unwilling or unable to engage in logical conversations with those critical of the establishment's plans. It is as if we live in a culture engaging in some type of mass Stockholm syndrome, where most have learned to identify with their oppressor. For those of you following my Psychology of Lockdown series, you will know that what we are experiencing culturally has many of the characteristics of a dysfunctional family. Many are acting out as if affected by emotional abuse. Perhaps, rather than arguing our way to freedom, which seems to trigger many into a deeper state of mystification, we should contemplate healing those unable to set appropriate boundaries or worse, those engaging in controlling behaviors indicative of sociopathic personality disorders. Ted Hainick has dedicated his life to just such a healing practice. While my conversation with Jason Kristoff focused on subconscious programming in general, today's discussion will delve into Ted's personal story as he evolved from the typical successful American man as an animator for The Simpsons into a self-sabotage coach helping others to transcend the 9-to-5 struggle by embracing a stress-free lifestyle defined by a healthy diet, good exercise, and holistic abundance. Ted and I will discuss the nuts and bolts of overcoming subconscious conditionings that hold us back from being the empowered individuals that we are. What Ted describes occurs when seeking a lifestyle based on optimal health. While many involved in the typical American rat race trust that big pharma medicines are all that is required to keep hammering the daily grind, those who take personal responsibility for their lives quickly understand that there is a deeper meaning that can only be tapped into through making the commitment to be as healthy as possible. This commitment is the beginning of a journey of discovery, resulting in the awareness that health comes from within. The vast majority of health issues can be overcome through the healing of subconscious patterns that prevent many of us from treating ourselves with the love and respect that we deserve. Ted helps his clients overcome those patterns, then sets them on the path to detoxify, de-stress, and discover the lifestyle of health and abundance at each of our fingertips, once liberated from the shadow self that holds us back. Find out more about Ted and his work at www.hainichealth.com.
If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast on all your social media networks. We rely on listeners like you to distribute this information far and wide. To find out more about The Shift, sign up for the newsletter or subscribe for the full-length episodes of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com. You can also connect on social media by searching Doug McKenty on Facebook, The Shift with Doug McKenty on YouTube and Telegram, or at McKenty on Twitter to stay connected and find out more about everything produced in The Shift studio. Stay tuned for this conversation with Ted Hainick. I want to thank Ted for agreeing to be on the show, and thank you for helping to make The Shift. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this 78th episode of The Shift. Uh, I am happy today to be joined by Ted Hainick. He is the purveyor of Hainick's Health. This is kind of a follow-up episode from my uh, episode with Jason Kristoff, talking about self-sabotaging behavior and the power of the subconscious mind. I think this episode is going to be a little bit more personal, though. Ted and I, uh, just to preface this conversation, have actually been working together. I've gone through his uh, self-sabotage course, and he's been helping me out. I think he's going to become a little bit more of a part of the shift. I'd like to start promoting. I mean, what's been going on with me and the show is that I have been doing so much kind of journalistic work or historical work about the the grand conspiracy and educating people. It's, it's been a, a very academic feeling to me. And I've always thought that I could argue logically with the with the world about what's going on and and open people's minds and go, oh my gosh, you know, there are these, you know, wealthy people that are really controlling the the world here, and, and we need to get together collectively and and figure out how to uh, how to build a, a society based on freedom of choice and empowering. Uh, the lower classes uh, against this grand cabal or whatever's going on. But I've noticed over time that having these logical conversations, these academic conversations with people really don't work. And certainly in the last year with the whole COVID thing, I mean, posting peer-reviewed studies, uh, posting articles by independent journalists that are that are really well-sourced, uh, and people just blow you off because it's not what's happening in the mainstream media. So I've been delving into what's going on. I mean, logical argument isn't isn't starting the revolution, right? Isn't making the change that I'm looking for. <laughs> and uh, I started really getting into the psychology of it all. And as many of you know, I've been producing this psychology of lockdown series uh, and starting to get into how uh, the propaganda really works on this subconscious level. Well, once I started working with Ted, uh, and then uh, Ted actually is his one of his mentors is Jason Kristoff. So he uh, introduced me to Jason and, and then I was able to produce that episode. And then just working more closely with Ted uh, in terms of my own self-sabotage work and realizing in my personal life that like, my God, I've been treating myself uh l- using logic and thinking that my conscious mind it can can make improvements in my own life and and make improvements in my community and my society um but just starting to realize that actually so much happens on this subconscious level uh and that this is where i think the focus really of the whole truth movement needs to go we need to start understanding that we're in the midst of a psychological war and it's not only <laughs> that the upper classes are using psychology against the lower classes as a methodology of control. But in each one of our personal lives, it's the subconscious forces in our personal lives that really 
have the greatest power and the greatest ability to affect our own personal choices. So I'm happy to have Ted on the show. And I think that different from the the episode that I had with Jason, we're going to really get down and dirty on a personal level. This is going to be about uh, our personal stories and what we're doing to try to overcome limiting belief systems, our own self-sabotage, and then how that affects our, our entire worldview. Um, and I'm hoping that the show in general is actually going to kind of go in this direction. I think health is such an important aspect to this. If we're going to stand up to what's happening right now in terms of these COVID lockdowns, uh, the technocratic takeover of, of government, the, the controlling mechanisms of the upper classes that we're seeing, getting implemented right now, we need to start focusing on our own personal health and our personal strength. So uh, I'm really happy to have Ted on the program to be able to explain to us just exactly how we can do that. So uh, welcome to the show, Ted, and how are you doing today? Doing doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm, I'm excited to share with you my story. I don't know that you know, you fully know my story, so it's uh, it'll be great to share it with you and everybody else listening here. So why don't we just get started with that? Um, I know that you started your career as an animator and uh, worked your way to being an animator on The Simpsons, actually, for several years. Um, and so what was that life like? And then what kind of turned you around uh, to realize that you then wanted to become a, a self-sabotage coach? Yeah, it's a really long uh winding road that I've been on. I mean, I, sure. in my younger life, I was so focused on, I mean, I grew up like a lot of us, right? Like sitting in front of the TV, watching a lot of cartoons and, uh, you know, taking in a lot of commercials and, and Saturday Night Live and all this stuff that I, I watched in the 80s. And I was just so captivated by, you know, movies like Back to the Future and Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I was like, gosh, I just want to be a part of that world. And I grew up in Southern California so I wasn't that far from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated from college, I, I, that was when animation was booming. Like Disney was making, a, they just made Lion King. It was like the first billion dollar movie. And all these other studios were, you know, there was stories in the LA Times of how animators were getting six figure contracts and animation was just exploding. And I had always loved drawing and art and animation fascinated me. So uh, I moved towards animation. I, I studied dr- drawing, academic drawing, figure drawing, artistic anatomy, uh, animal drawing. Uh, got in heavily into just making animation, learning the principles of animation. And I just pursued it with every fiber of my being for years. And it was a very challenging uh, art to learn because it's not just drawing. It's also performance. It's composition. It's anatomy. It's, it's everything that goes into uh, an artistic endeavor is in animation. So it fascinated me, but it was also this uh, constant endeavor of like, how do I how do I wrap my head around all this information and make it look eloquent, make it have some virtuosity, and ultimately work inside of a studio and be a part of the industry. And um, getting into animation was a very difficult road. I mean, it's entertainment in general is not uh, easy. Everybody's road is different. I mean. Some people just, they're, they fall in and all of a sudden they're in animation, they're in entertainment. Other people, they, they work at it for years and years and years and they never ac- actually ever do it, even though they're, they're very talented. So I had a tenacity to me. I just would not take no for an answer. I, I worked at it. I pursued it. I mean, that's a whole story in and of itself. But 
I really learned in that pursuit how to have singular focus around a goal. And I, I really worked on my mindset back then. I didn't even know these ideas about uh, self-sabotage or, or, you know, manifesting what you want to achieve. But when I was working on the test, so you have to test to get on the Simpsons. So when I was working on the test, I actually told myself, you actually already work there. You already work on the Simpsons. I would wake up, get ready for work as if I already worked there. I had an animation desk in my room. So I would sit at my desk and I would, you know, sharpen my pencil. And in my mind, I already worked there. And on my desk, I had a professional level uh, drawing of the family. And I would look at it and I would be like, this is where I am. I'm, I'm here. I, I embodied the, uh, the, uh, the identity of an animator on The Simpsons. That was my chosen goal. I always wanted to work in features, but um, animation and TV seemed like, and The Simpsons just seemed like a logical first step. And what's crazy about me and my story is that I've met people that are like huge Simpson fans and they're like, you must know The Simpsons like the back of your hand. And I've actually barely watched any of The Simpsons. I've had episodes that I've worked on that I've never actually seen on broadcast TV. Um, I'm kind of a, 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 a anomaly. I was fascinated by the art of animation, actually the, the human anatomy, the way that we articulate and move, the way that the human body, um, the way the muscles move in conjunction with the bone, uh, putting performance into an inanimate object, all that stuff was just so fascinating to me. The actual commercial part of it, like I like the fact that I worked on a very large production that people know about, but I'm not really a, cons even back then, I wasn't a big consumer of television, movies. <laughs> um, you know, I've always been uh, kind of an anomaly in that way, but uh, working on the show, learning all the things that, that went into learning it, and then ultimately achieving it. Uh, really taught me a lot about goal setting, uh, manifestation, and then ultimately once getting there, realizing that what I had in my mind of what I thought it would be and what it actually was were so dramatically different that I had to reevaluate my own relationship to uh, my goals, my the way that I perceived my place in that studio environment, what I actually wanted, because what I found was um, I didn't fit in very well. You know, a lot of the people on the show are, they're into animation, right? They got toys on their desk. They're into popular culture. They love mm. this stuff and nothing against them. That's their, their chosen craft where I had at my desk, I have drawings of Michelangelo, Rubens. I was into classical drawing and that's what fascinated me. So it was a, it was a duality that I was in this environment, but yet I wasn't a big consumer of the Simpsons. I wasn't big, a big fan of the show. Um, but yet I worked on the show. Yeah. So um, I had to really realize and come to terms with who am I? Uh, how do I make this work? And what do I ultimately want to do artistically? And that was really the first uh, time when I started to realize that there was more to me than just making drawings and working on a show. <laughs> so uh, we can go a little bit further, but it was a monumental undertaking that really framed my entire journey. So what happened to you then? I mean, how long were you there actually? How long were you working on the Simpsons? About two years. Okay. Okay. And what happened then uh, that made you, you just decided you felt like you needed to leave. It wasn't working out for you. No, that's a really interesting piece of my story. So 
I had been there for two seasons and in TV production, you go on a seasonal layoff. So I got my, my seasonal layoff for my second season and I was pretty green. You know, when you're two years in, you're still considered a newbie, right? Mm -hmm. You're just getting your, your sea legs. And um, I went on my seasonal layoff and I figured, Hey, I'm in LA. I've, uh, you know, I've achieved the Simpsons and my ego was very happy back then. You know, I worked a, I was an animator on The Simpsons, right? So telling all the different people I would meet that I'm an animator on The Simpsons, everybody's impressed by that. Sure. So that was post 9-11. That was about, this was about the time that, uh, you know, 9-11 had happened. The entertainment industry was really in the, in the, uh, in the tank. It wasn't doing very well. Right. And um, Futurama was canceled during that time. So they started picking up pe- people from Futurama. And a lot of people on The Simpsons were basically told they weren't coming back. So I was one of those people that was told I wasn't coming back. And at that time, I had so defined myself by my role on The Simpsons that when I got that phone call that you're not coming back on the show, I was like, my literally, my perception of myself was like shattered in a million pieces. Wow. I had no idea who I was, uh, what I was going to do now. And I remember a very low, you know, self-sabotaging piece of my story. I sat on the stoop of my apartment in Burbank and I would just chain smoke. I was chain smoking cigarettes back then. Okay. Um, I was drinking alcohol at night. I was just like, I was like this. I was like, oh my God, like, what do I do now? Yeah. What do I do now? Like the Simpsons to me and the whole entertainment and animation thing had just so come to define my entire existence that I had no idea who I was. I had no idea who I was. And, and uh, luckily, about that time, I went through a program called the Landmark Forum. So I don't know if you're familiar with Landmark Forum, but... I did the landmark forum in Los Angeles, right by the uh, LA airport. And that really changed my entire trajectory in life. I got to give that course a lot of credit for uh, me, you know, choosing a different path. I met some people in there. I got some really important information in there. And I started to uh, realize that, you know, I had been living in this little box, you know, I just been like, I'm an animator and like I had achieved this level of success. And like, all I really wanted to do was be an animator. Who knows if I had been kept on the show, um, who knows, who knows what would have happened if, if the industry was a little bit different. Um, I have no idea. Maybe I'd still be there. I have no idea, but yeah. it really, life took me in a different direction. I ultimately moved to Boston. So I packed up everything I owned. I either sold all of it or stuffed it in my car and uh, I drove east to Boston. I'd never even been there before. Didn't know anybody there. And I, I uh, my soul was really calling out for uh, the hero's journey because I had been so sheltered. I grew up very sheltered in Orange County, California. And then here I was in Los Angeles. I remember this is like a really stark moment in my life. Like I worked really hard to get on The Simpsons, but I had no idea how many people actually wanted to make it in entertainment. I had no clue. And I remember after I got laid off, I went into a Starbucks to get a coffee or whatnot. And the guy behind the counter, I was talking to him, just chatting. And he was talking about, oh, he had it. Here's my headshot. He had a script. He had been shopping around Los Angeles. And I'm like, everybody here has a dream to work in entertainment. Yeah. (laughs) And, and here I am, like I had done it. I felt like I had been through like the washing machine, you know, like I was in there and I tumbled around and then I was spit out and I was just on a stoop smoking cigarettes going like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do now? And that was a really big uh, stressful moment for me that I, I turned into uh, changing directions and moving out of state. And, uh, you know, the rest was uh, a progression of evolution to discovering really who I am and what I'm all about. Yeah. 
Well, why don't you tell the audience about this landmark forum? What was it about that that uh, kind of opened your eyes? Wanted wanted to you know wanted to motivated you to make these changes. Yeah, landmark was so. If if people don't know what it is, it's it's literally taking a lot of these different philosophies, ideas. It's something that you could get from a book, you could get from a therapist, you could get it from a myriad of different places, but. What makes Landmark so powerful is that you experience it with like 200 other people and you have a facilitator up in front of the room. They're very skilled at what they do mm -hmm. and their communication style is just so clear. There's, they have such clarity in the way they communicate and what they help you see is that there are certain things that have happened to you in your life that you made meaning around and what they help you to understand is that we are meaning making machines. And so you understand by the course of this, uh, this long weekend is you have people getting up at a microphone and they're sharing about how, you know, maybe their mother did this to them when they were six or they went to summer camp and this happened when I was 10. And, you know, all these people and they're crying and there's all this emotion in the room and you're sitting there and you're just looking around. And you're going like, these are things that most people wouldn't just like openly share. You wouldn't really know about it. Right. But you have this giant room of people where everybody is their defenses are down and they're starting to share from the heart of like what happened to them, what, what they made that mean and what it's cost them in their life. And all of a sudden it's like, man, this is crazy that the stories that we all tell ourselves, they keep us in this compartmentalized, like playing small. And by the end of the weekend, they come up there and they, they tell you like the crescendo is that, you know, you can do with your life, whatever it is that you choose. Life has the meaning that you give it. And I just remember sitting in the back of that room, you know, you're in a hardback chair right near LAX. You can hear the airplanes coming over top. And it's like my, my entire reality was just blown apart. I was right. like, I was really suffering at that time. I was still working on the Simpsons and uh, this was like the transitional period. And I would go into work and I would just sit there and like, I had so much angst around like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not... I'm not going to make it in this industry. Like uh, it's just all these conversations. And then I'm trying to be creative inside of that. And so I was just suffering. I was just in this place of suffering. And I remember leaving the forum and just being like, I felt light as air. I was like, oh man, it's all what I make of it. Yeah. And that was the first time it's like experiential. So somebody could tell you that, but it was like, it was like literally like you just see it's like a like a deck a meta death you know like my friend Boise Thomas it's like a you have this a uh, this period of where it's like your your ego is basically torn apart and and ripped and you go oh my gosh like this is what I've been doing this is my pattern yeah and so that was the first time where there was a, a real opening for me to realize that it is all inside of me uh, my direction my choice my motivation my inspiration. And what I had, the mistake, the fatal mistake that I had made during that time was that I had given all this power to an outside entity, right? Like the Simpsons or the animation industry. It was like, I was looking for them to like put a check mark next to my name and say, you know what, Ted, you're, you're good enough. You're okay. And I had never given that to myself. Yeah. And so when it was taken away, I, it was like the floor had been pulled out from underneath me and I was in free fall. So Landmark helped me to see that this was, a, this was a new beginning, a new start, a fresh start. And I remember a woman in there told me, she was like, you're in a beautiful place. You're standing in, in nothing. You're standing in nothing. 
And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so I just chose to move to Boston. I'm like, I'm going to move to Boston and I'm going to have an adventure. Hmm. And it was incredible. I went from being an animator. I was an Emmy award-winning animator on The Simpsons. I moved to Boston, didn't know a soul. I rented a room in uh, Malden, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. And I was like looking around town for a job. <laughs> right. And I got, a jo- I got a job as a host at the Border Cafe in Harvard Square. Huh. So I went from being an animator on The Simpsons, you know, to wearing a bow tie saying table for two right this way, smoking, smoking or non-smoking. Yeah. (laughs) So, What a a, uh, journey it's been for sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, and what a classic story because so many people, you know, they want that, they have that experience where you, you know, you graduate from school, you get out of school, you're starting your life and then... Uh, you know, people in this culture really have n- no understanding of, I don't know, how to how to work through life uh, based on their own individual desires and passions, right? It's all just get, you know, you got to get this job. And uh, so you end up getting this job that would be, you know, a lot of people's dream job. And this happens to a lot of people. And the next thing you know, they're really, they're just stressed out constantly. Um, you know, you're talking about smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, uh, worried that you're not good enough, you know, busting your butt, trying to make it work. Um, and yet this is almost, it, it was like the pinnacle of what our culture tells us we're all supposed to want. Um, at what point did you start to kind of doubt the the dominant narrative? Because I know that you've, you know, you've kind of crossed over into this conspiracy theory realm that we delve into on this program. <laughs> Was that something like when 9-11 happened, were you already suspicious or was it something that you kind of woke up to over time after that? Yeah, it's I've always had a very inquisitive mind. I've always wanted to know the truth, right? Like this yeah. uh, pursuit of the truth. And I'll be the first to admit, like I, I've always felt in my core that there was something off about this reality I live in. It always felt like why don't I feel a deeper connection to like my extended family? Like we're all, we all get together and it's, it's, it's talking about the weather, but it's like, why wouldn't I see the, uh, the, the, the seasons of my, my family's life, you know, like we're together. Why is it that I, I spend so much time sitting in a class doing things that I don't care about, especially when I got into drawing, I was like, I actually thought maybe I don't really, I'm not that hard of a worker on things. I like, I didn't really school didn't interest me that much and then i got into drawing and i was like man i'll stay up till two o'clock in the morning working on my drawing i'm super passionate about it so i started to be like well why can't i just do the things that i want to do that i love to do all the time (laughs) yeah why is that a good question yeah and that was really the first inquiry it was like why can't my life be joyful all the time why do i have to do all these things that are like expected of me and um, I didn't really, I remember when 9-11 happened and I didn't, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. It just was like very, um, it was like a moment that was like, oh my gosh, that's awful. And it was like, I just felt this massive shift in the way that uh, I perceived what was real, what was possible. It was like, how is that even real? How is that? How am I seeing that? Yeah. And um, as I've gone on my own journey of discovery and, and uh, cleaning up my health, like my health was really the first step. Um, I've always been into like working out and exercise and, and being very committed to things that are important to me. And about, I'm going to say about five, six years ago, I mean, I was doing competitive CrossFit as a powerlifting, uh, powerlifting competitor. 
I was very involved in all these things. And it was like, I look back on, I think about it. It was like, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I still work out, but it's like, I was so in the trenches of just like beating myself up. And I'm like, is this even healthy? Yeah. And then I took a step back and I go, how do I live? Like, what is the optimal way to live? Like I'm in my mid forties. I obviously can't be like powerlifting, you know, back squatting 350, 400 pounds when I'm 80 years old. So what is the trajectory that I need to be on now? So I set myself up for success when I am like 60, 70, 80 years old. And that this was really what started to unravel my idea of what is our supposed reality or what we're spoon fed. Because I started to look at like, what is natural health? I started to look at like, how can I optimize? Yeah. And that's when I came across people like Amanda Vollmer, Jason Kristoff, some of these people, you know, Robert Kusar, some of um, Dr. John Bergman, some of these people that share amazing content and I actually made friends with a lot of these people. I've, I've been very fortunate that um, I connect with people that are at a place where I want to be. And I just, I say, hey, what is it that you're doing? What kind of information do you have for me? What, how can I start on this path? And that's really how I got on The Simpsons, too. I've always been highly coachable. I'm an open vessel. Like, look, I tell coaches, I tell clients now that when it comes to self-sabotage or living your best life or stepping into your power, it's like you have to be willing to unlearn what you know and learn anew. And so for whatever reason, I've always had that adaptability to be like, well, maybe it isn't optimal to be running these like intense CrossFit workouts every day, like two times a day. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could do like half as much and still be in great shape. Maybe I could remove, like I got the advice to remove my coffee. I was like huge into coffee. And I've told clients, I'm like, why don't you rethink your relationship to caffeine and coffee? And some right. people are like, it's just a hard pass. Like they won't even look at it. And I say, look, if you can give it up for a period of like, a month, two months. And then look, if you want to make the decision to bring it back into your life, that's up to you. But what is two months? So I've always been really open. I've always been really open. And I started to really see things in a new light, the biggest moment. So let me give you my biggest moment. When my wife was pregnant with our first son, all of a sudden that was like light bulb moment for me. I was like, for whatever reason, I was like, Ashley, that's my wife's name. I was like, what what sort of water are you showering in? Like, what's that makeup you're putting on your face? What sure. is the, and like, oh my gosh, like they're going to want to talk to us about vaccines. Like what is in the vaccines? And my initial gut reaction was like, I don't want anything to do with it. And we actually got in a bit of an argument. She was like, no, you're not telling me what to do during my pregnancy. It's my body. And I go, look, we have to research this. We have to get educated about this because they're going to start to want to do these things. And we started reading books, watching videos and it was like, holy cow, this is mind boggling what's going on. And then when I was like learning about these things, I was so uh, passionate about like, there's so much more information out there. There's so much like, look at this. You could do like these natural modalities, like moving away from vaccines, moving away from pharmaceutical drugs, starting to change out, like remove your coffee, starting to like reduce and remove alcohol starting to yeah. breathe, breathe effectively, focus on your sleep, removing blue light, like blue light is destroying your melatonin and all the, you know, ruining your sleep. And um, I started to learn all these things. I started to actively like share it with people, right? I'm like, hey, did you know about this vaccine thing? Like, have you heard about this? And then all of a sudden people were like, you know, I started getting like the label, 
you know, like, oh my gosh, like you're like, you've lost the script. Like, right. <laughs> like, like, like my dad is a retired conventional dentist. Mm-hmm. And so I started researching about mercury amalgam fillings and fluoride. And I was like, well, what is, I, I was just going on an inquiry. I was like, well, what is this? Is this good? Is this bad? What is it? And I would ask, and it was like, I'd get such a, like a wall. It was like, oh my gosh, like, here we go again with this line of questioning. And I was right. like, I just had to take a step back and like scratch my head and go, well, it's, it's mercury. <laughs> it's mercury. And then I know. with the vaccines, it was like, they're telling my wife, like, don't go crazy with tuna fish because there's a mercury load. And then I'm like, but wait a minute, there's mercury in the vaccine. Right. And that's, that's being injected into my wife while she's pregnant. And the more I started to research, the more I started to look at it, the more I started to like question my own reality. And I was like, what is true? Mm-hmm. And I've come to certain points in this journey where, especially with like what's going on with the world in the world right now, it's like everything I just, there's moments where I just like take a deep breath, stand in my, in my power and just rele- release this stress. Cause it can be really stressful. All this stuff you're like, I was right. raised with all these ideas and it's like, what's real. So I stand in this place and I go, I'm, I'm open to receive brand new content that is completely outside the paradigm, what I think is real and what I think is true. And that's when uh, my life has completely changed. Like meeting you, uh, having a personal relationship with Jason Kristoff, uh, Amanda Vollmer. These are people that um, I, I look up to and I admire and there's a whole new community of people that are doing this work like yourself where we're we're sharing we're like it's an inquiry and i feel like the the charge of our time is to to ask really good questions and to to set people on that path to do their own work because the the time is now the time is now to start to unravel what you believe to be reality what you believe to be true and the number one step that I always tell people is you have to focus on your health. If, you're, if your health is not optimal, there's just no way that you can see the rest of this stuff that we're talking about because you're just going to be stuck in fight or flight. Right. So for me, I had no idea. I had no clue. I, I was looking towards optimization. I wanted to optimize my health. And so I optimized my health. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, there's this whole different level of consciousness that opens up to me. I'm not in my frenetic stress response all the time. So I used to attract my my reality just more stress, right? Like hardcore workouts, coffee, yeah. alcohol, people and situations that were just like pushing my stress response higher. And when I brought my stress response down, I started to be able to breathe effectively, detoxify the body. Everything's different. <laughs> Everything's different. So it's uh, I'm very grateful and very thankful that I went on the journey and that uh, I'm now I'm involved in this great work of helping other people do the same. Right. Will you just really quickly kind of connect the dots? Did you stay in the restaurant industry for, I mean, you, there's like a 15-year period there between, you know, when you leave The Simpsons, you go to Boston, and then you kind of fully make this transition. So um, will you just fill in that story really quickly? And then I have one, one more question to ask, and then I'd like to delve into uh, a lot of this health stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a really, I look at that as like my, my confused period. Uh Um, I, I, when I was in Boston, so when I was in uh, Southern California, when I was working on the Simpsons, I taught a life drawing workshop on Saturday at the art Institute. 
So I had a feeling I contacted the Art Institute in Boston. They told me they would hire me part time. Um, I ultimately did work there. I worked, I taught around Boston at like the, the Art Institute of Boston, the actual Art Institute of Boston, uh, New England Institute of Art. I taught at both oh, the cool. Cambridge and Boston Centers for Adult Ed. So I taught in Boston. I taught figure drawing, artistic anatomy, animal drawing, storyboarding, uh, animation. I taught anything and everything having to do with uh, what, what I learned to get into animation. The uh, Border Cafe, I only worked there for about six months because um, I was actively looking for work as an artist and as a teacher. And um, I knew my Simpson experience. I, I had a lot of confidence that I was different because I was a Simpson animator in Boston. Yeah. So luckily, you know, I knew that the Simpson Simpson experience would help me and it did. Um, but, you know, you want to talk about self-sabotage. Like I had set myself on this pattern here. I was in Boston, but my whole time in Boston, I hadn't mastered these skills. So I had a lot of anxiety, stress, overwhelm. I carried it with me. Yeah. And um, I had a lot of pain and anger from being laid off from the Simpsons. I had this whole idea in my mind that I was going to be, I was going to make my mark in animation. I was going to be a famous guy in animation. I was going to be a well-known director or, you know, run my own program. And when it was yanked out from underneath me, I left to go to Boston. I think a big part of what I was doing was just like licking my wounds. I was really pissed off. Right. And uh, I ultimately stayed in Boston for about two years. I moved back to California. I was a struggling artist in Boston. I made almost no money, even though I was working my, my tail off teaching around town. I think my best financial year in Boston, I made $16,000. So I was like the definition of a starving artist. Right. And um, I came back to California. I got a regular corporate job. I worked for a company called FileNet. And uh, here I was like, I wanted nothing to do with corporate, like, you know, sitting in a cubicle and all that stuff. And like, here I was, and I worked at a company called FileNet. And then I was ultimately, they, they were bought out by IBM. So I worked for IBM for like seven, eight years. I was uh, doing motion graphics and video production, uh, very corporate work. And I got kind of comfortable for a while. I was like, well, I'm making okay money. I, I, uh, I got into running and exercise. I put my focus into exercise. I got really into distance running and cycling. I've always had a really, uh, you know, insane amount of focus, but during that time, I didn't know where to put it. I was like, well, I'm not drawing anymore. I kind of felt like that had run its course. So I just got really into exercise and I tried it all. I was into surfing and mountain biking and cycling and rock climbing. I was like, I did it all. And then I discovered CrossFit. And when I discovered CrossFit, I was like, man, this is like tailor-made for me because it's competitive. Uh, There's a weightlifting component. And I just threw myself headlong into CrossFit. And uh, it was only when I got married, that's when I really started to look at holistic health. And it really, getting married really was a pivotal moment for me. Um, I had a whole story around settling down, getting married. I I avoided it like the plague. Yeah. (laughs) I looked at getting married like like a death. I thought that was like the end. You get married, you get a big gut, you uh, sit on the couch, watch TV, and that's kind of uh, the end. That was like my mental construct of what marriage meant to me. Yeah. And so I really avoided it with every fiber of my being. And I got to credit my wife. My wife is a very patient woman to put up with me. Um, <laughs> I'm very bullheaded. I'm very um, passionate about the things that I care about. And marrying her was hands down the best thing I ever did in my entire life. She helped me in countless ways to evolve, to, to step into my adult consciousness. I had been living in child consciousness. Right. So I stepped into my adult consciousness and that was really when I took on 
uh, more of the, the protector role because we we got married and we had a family very much you know right thereafter. So I started to learn about holistic health because um, I'll be 48 this summer and I have my eldest son is four and my youngest is one year. So I am firmly invested in being as optimal and powerful and in my in my best life for as long as humanly possible because I got started late. Yeah. So um, I give all the credit to my wife. She's an amazing partner. And uh, I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for her. No way. Yeah. I mean, that's a great story. And it's actually, it's almost archetypal. It's so classic. I mean, I, I think a lot of people and especially men, but women as well, you know, we, we graduate from school again, and, and then we try to get these jobs. We all have these stories, like you're talking about, that you sort of almost fulfilled at the Simpsons. And it's, it's like a delusion of grandeur. I mean, I had the, like, I'm listening to your experience. I'm thinking this is almost exactly my experience. Like you think that you're going to, you know, you're going to launch and you're going to have this incredible life. And then you end up in the real world. And this reality that is constructed for us and the stories that we have around it, it's not, you know, it's not this American dream that they, that they kind of imprint upon us when we're young. And ultimately you just end up dealing with the daily grind. And then you talk about, you know, kind of ending up working in this corporate job and, and being okay with it because it's better than being the starving artist, right? I mean, you can be, you're a starving artist for a decade and then what the hell, you know, <laughs> it feels so good just to have a little bit of money in your pocket and you're not just, um, you know, scraping by all the time. And, and this is just, again, it's such a classic uh, experience. And I think so many people have had that. And that's um, a couple of the things that came to mind as I'm hearing your stories. And then when you get married, it causes this, this massive transition in psychology. They call this uh, adulting, right? I mean, there's a term for it. And I, I'm actually kind of going through the same experience myself. Like, my God, people get into their 40s and they kind of start to realize, finally, maybe it's time to really grow up. But, but how fascinating that in this culture, we're not taught how to be an adult when we're, you know, teenagers, so that yeah. by the time we're in our 20s, we're already adults. I, you know, it's taken, uh, I mean, for me as well, like, this protracted 20 year long period of my life to, to make all these like massive mistakes essentially yeah. before I go like, I'm just acting out like childhood fantasies. And I've never, I mean, I totally resonated with what you're talking about with like the connection to your family. Why isn't emotional connection to in the family unit? Why isn't that an important part of our culture? Why isn't, you know, becoming an adult an important part of our culture and teaching the youngers how to adult early on in life so that they have this process? I mean, indigenous cultures often like have a ceremony when kids turn 16, they, they make a big deal out of it. And now you're an adult, you know, um, and we don't have that kind of, you know, transition in our culture. So we're all like flailing around basically until we uh, until we figure out and most of us never do right i mean i'm looking yeah. around and a lot of people never even have this experience where they can start to really adult and individuate and go and you know start to question what's really going on in the world around them um just as we go forward with this yesterday you mentioned something that also really resonated with me and my own experience 
which you were talking about how your workouts and your and your athleticism was motivated a lot like you realized by by anger and frustration and i mean that's so much with me too in my 20s and 30s there was just this underlying like feeling that i was really pissed off you know yeah. and it resulted in it resulted in a lot of uh, unhealthy behavior. I mean, I was acting out and rebelling against this system that I did, that I saw, uh, that wasn't, you know, that was com completely non-functional, frankly. Uh, and I was holding on to a lot of anger, but even in the healthy lifestyle that you from the outside seemed to have, you still felt this underlying anger as the motivation. Um, do you want to just describe that for the audience? Cause I think that's really common. Yeah, I see it a lot. And now that I'm coaching people, and I think it's just, it goes back to childhood trauma and, mm -hmm. and like love that wasn't received or perceived to be received. And, um, you know, for me, it's a fine line, right? Like you could be going out to do CrossFit workouts, really beating yourself to a pulp. And we could make the argument. I mean, I, I had a really tight knit group of people that I worked out with. We were all coaches. We all competed against each other. It was like some of the best times in my adult life was actually competing in CrossFit in this tight group of people. But we would do some workouts that were like literally insane. Mm. And I look back on it and there were some of us that we would compete. We would, we would look at the clock trying to like outdo each other. And there were people that I was trying to keep up with. And I, I remember a thought in my mind was like, this person I'm trying to keep up with would probably die before they would let me pass them. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, this is insane. This is insane. This yeah. this is not about a six pack. This is not about being healthy. This is about putting ourselves in the dirt and seeing who can. Uh, it's like literally no different than if we were going to do like hundred club with d doing shots of beer and see who can like last the longest. Right. It's no different. It's self abusive and it's over the top. You see guys and, doing steroids. I think you know and all kinds of stuff. They get in that that exercise workout world and and it it is another. It's interesting. It's like another form of abuse. It's a form of, and look, it's pervasive. It's, I'm not, there's no judgment, right? Like we all grew up in this culture and it's like, I grew up with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? The guy was bigger than life. He was, uh, you know, this action hero, this figure and everything in this culture. It's like Wall Street, right? You know, it's like greed is good and everybody, you can have everything, right. instant gratification. You can have whatever you want right now. You don't have to work that hard at it. You should get it right now. And so this is what we've been raised in. And the only thing that that holds true in is substance abuse. Like if you do drugs, yeah. then yeah, you'll have instant gratification, but that's not a path to happiness. That's not a path to happiness. And the true path to happiness is the master's path. And the master's path is about Zen and about standing in the practice of your chosen craft. And that's really what I learned through my drawing practice. And um, it's something that I've really had to come to understand as an as an adult is that to bet to become really masterful at something, you have to be willing to just get in the daily practice and check in with your commitment. And if you get into your ego too much, you're just going to suffer. You're just going to sit there and suffer. It's like I'm not in shape enough. I don't have you know. I'm not tall enough. My drawings aren't good enough. I'm not not making enough money and all this other right. stuff. And it just becomes like you become like a magnet. You're going to attract exactly what you seek to avoid to your reality. And so this has been the, the final piece in my, uh, my health journey, my evolution as a man, is to understand that it's, it's all under our control. 
there is if you're looking for external validation that's that's a, a futile pursuit it's completely feel like look i achieved the simpsons and it was like you could sit there and be impressed by that i think it is you know it's, a, it's an achievement but the real you know the the real test is to be there and not let it mean anything it's like yeah i'm here but my my calling is to create for this show or you know if let's say you know you all of a sudden become hyper famous because of what you're doing that could easily go to your head and then all of a sudden you're not in the place of creating content and and uh, being in your authentic self because all of a sudden your ego is just so happy that you're getting all these accolades and all this uh, recognition the true challenge is to stay centered stay grounded like i have a friend of mine that lives here he's an awesome guy and i've never asked him but i would i'd be willing to bet he's a multimillionaire multimillionaire but you would never know and i love that i love that it's like yeah the the fact that like he doesn't have he doesn't put on airs you would know, you it's just a regular guy you sit down and talk to him you can have a conversation like this he has it, there's no airs about him he's a wonderful human being and that that's really what i've come to understand is that these constructs these ideas that is is uh put in our con- our subconscious mind of what we want what we should want it's just that. They're just ideas. They're just ideas. So it's it's really for me been a journey of of shedding and letting go and realizing that what real happiness and fulfillment is all about is is individual. It's like what could make you really happy maybe doesn't work for me, and that's wonderful. I think it's all about you know each of us doing the work and coming to a place where we recognize and realize who we are and the power that we have. What I see in society right now is a lot of people that are, they're just so captured by stress and overwhelm and anxiety that they're just being played. Right. And it really pains me to see people living in such pain. It's like, even if the situation we're all dealing with, like, like let's say it's all real, all this is real. Well, I still don't want to live my life in 24 seven stress. It's just not how I want to go out. And so I really recommend to people that, you know, this is not a practice round. Your life is not a practice round. This is, this is your life. And, and uh, stand in your power, take a deep breath, and, and uh, speak your truth and claim what is rightfully yours. Yeah. And, that, and that is your sovereignty and your health. So. You, you know, there's something about this culture um, that almost places virtue on how much stress you can endure. Right. I I mean, that's what it was like growing up. It's, it's this, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I almost, I want, I want to, maybe I want to kind of have a conversation with you about the idea of toxic masculinity. I think there is some truth to that in that the, you know, the male ego can put, push itself in these ways that are, that become unhealthy and this, and this weird, you know, if you can endure more stress, it's like, if you think, I mean, I, I like to think in terms of the, like the patriarchal culture, the patriarchal culture is built on warfare and, and we're all raised in this culture to be prepared to, to go into battle, you know, (laughs) and how much stress you can endure. certainly in that situation is, it seems to be the whole focus of our culture growing up. And it's just, it's the exact opposite of health. I mean, people are, you're going to burn out. I mean, I think it's, it's almost normal that like you get into your forties and you've got to realize like this doesn't work, but our culture, um, it, it really puts so much value on that. 
like that 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 masculine between between the man between 20 and 40 that can really ha- you know how hard can you hammer y- yourself you wake up you drink coffee you know you go to work you work hard um you know the corporation will pay you if you work hard and then you have you get some time off and during those weekends well blow off steam you know drink a bunch of alcohol watch a bunch of movies you know watch a bunch of action movies uh, burn off that steam so Monday morning you're ready, power yourself up with the coffee, get out there and do it again. And it's just piling stress upon stress upon stress. And then, I mean, you know, uh, I think in the bigger picture of things, these uh, the owners of the corporations, right, the people at the top of the system, like once the, once you burn out, you're 40, 50 years old, they'll just spit you out and bring yeah. in the next batch of 20-year-olds. And that's how they look at it. And And one of the characteristics of patriarchal cultures is they have no respect for their elders. They're not looking to help people live long and healthy lives. They're looking for that, you know, between yeah. 20 and 50, we're going to use you up. And then after that, maybe we'll give you a social security check and, and uh, throw you on chemotherapy when you get sick, you know? And so it's, you got another five years left, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is really the, uh, when we get into the, the, the weeds of what's really going on, it's really the destruction of the powerful male. Yeah. And, and it's a capturing of power. So it, it's really about taking people and, uh, and putting them in a position where they're living a very disempowered life. And it feels like this is the only way. And uh, this comes from a very young age. It's all about the indoctrination, the, the uh, subconscious programming. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, I played that game for uh, many years, you know, where you're working in a job and people are telling you what to do and you sit in a box and you get a couple days off a year. And um, I find that it's like, look, masculine energy. It's like, it's meant to be we're meant to be protectors we're meant to be strong we're meant to be healthy we're meant to be vibrant yeah and exactly what you said i feel like there's something really lacking like like my father my father uh, lives in california i'm here in, in north carolina and uh you know obviously i chose to move out here but if 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 i could have my dream it would be that you know my family were side by side like i'm I'm seeing every season of their life and I'm learning from their wisdom. And it's like, we, we throw out the uh, history of our, of our grandparents, our parents, the whole culture is all about youth. It's all about, we celebrate the young and it's, it's like, well, what about the people that have uh, been here and, and evolved and learned and, and uh, are on that master's journey. That's really what has made me feel very deeply saddened when I go out in the world and I, you know, I'm, I'm 48, I'll be 48 this summer. And I walk around, I'm at the store and I see people that are like in their sixties in their seventies and like, look, no offense, no judgment, but it's like, they don't look well. And they yeah. got them, they got the mask on. And, and I'm like, do you have any level of consciousness? You've been here quite a while. Right. Have you done, have you done any of the work? And have you like I see their shopping cart loaded with like Tide laundry detergent, Gatorade, and chips, and all kinds. They're driving through McDonald's, and it's like, where is the enough? Like I get to a point where I'm like, I'm so done with this. I'm so done with driving down the street and seeing the Chick Fil A with uh, you know 20 cars waiting for their toxic food, people waiting in line to get whatever manner of nonsense they're they're putting in their mouth to eat, calling it uh, nutrition. And then everybody running around going like, you're the enemy because you're going to make me sick because you're breathing on me. And I'm like, 
where are the people like I see guys that are like they're jacked, they're big, they're in the gym and, and they're waiting in line at the post office with their mask on and obeying. And I'm like, you're the you're like the 30 year old man. Right. Like you are in the wheelhouse of, of like you are meant to be the protector. If you were in the gym doing all that working out, what was it about? Was it about just showing your biceps to the to the girls on the beach? And, um, you know, like I didn't quite realize that I had such a uh, like warrior heart, but I've come to the point where I'm like, how do I how do I um, convey this information with as much passion as I can bring forth? Because enough is enough. This yeah. is not the way that a culture uh, sustains itself this is not the way that we we last and we stand the test of time. If, if there's some evil at the front door, we have to thwart it and kick it out. And I just see people laying down and taking it. And it's really the the removal of that male spirit. And I'm wondering, like, you know, where when is it going to come in and uh, how can I participate? How can I help in being part of the movement to push it back? And the way that I tell people that we can help is that it's, it's an individual level. It's like understanding how the subconscious mind works, starting to reprogram your subconscious mind for success and abundance yeah. and unplugging from this dark and nefarious system that literally wants to control, capture and enslave you. And uh, people are confronted with a choice right now. You can either uh, choose to stand in your power and to say no with the most powerful of adult words, or you can upgrade your slavery. That's really what I see from my seat. And um, I have no interest in upgrading my slavery. I have no interest in that. And this is why the self-sabotage work is so powerful, because once you see the machinery of your own mind and how they've been playing you, you're like, I, I won't do it. I'm not participating in destroying myself. Yeah. And it doesn't become about this hedonistic pleasure-based activity that you get after uh, clocking out at five o'clock, because it's not about that. It's about you living your best life. So, uh, yeah, I get very uh, passionate about these things. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and now let's, let's kind of get into the meat of this, because it, once I think in order to transcend this culture, not only, you know, I think we've established, but we live in a culture, maybe we could talk a little bit more about the culture itself really subconsciously programs us into this hedonistic lifestyle, this like, I mean, this, this like pushing yourself to your limits, in other words, stressing yourself out. And then blowing off steam to the max when you, you know, when you get a break uh, and, and just like this, this cycle of violence, essentially, <laughs> that uh, has no real staying power. I mean, it can work for a little while. And it certainly works for the guys that are at the top of the system because they're getting all the the younger people or the, you know, the people at the bottom of the system to bust their butt for them, you know. Um, but there's a lot of subconscious then psychological control that is being imposed from from the public education system, from the media that people are ingesting. Um, I mean, that that creates these unhealthy patterns in so many people and then breaking away from that actually requires. And this is what I mean, this is why I'm excited that I've met you and that I've been able to have these conversations with you because, you know, for me, I thought my logical mind was going to be able to, to come to the, 
you know, to figure it out. And then I was going to change and be healthy and, and everything was, you know, I was going to adult and I was going to make this transition. And I was getting more and more frustrated still in that, still in that anger and frustrated state of like, why, you know, why don't I make this transition? Why don't, why won't I just optimize myself, my health? I mean, I used to sit around and think to myself, like, it's not that hard to figure out what's healthy. Like we know what to eat and what not to eat. And, you know, exercise is good for you and, you know, but, um, but to make those choices to change the lifestyle for some reason is so hard. And, uh, and then I, through working with you, I've really come to realize like, because it's all subconscious, like this is about subconscious programming. And unless you're really focused on changing the subconscious programming, your conscious mind can be as awake and aware as, you want it to be, and you're still going to have a hard time making this transition from from this life of stress and endurance to a life of of relaxation and health and happiness and abundance. Yeah, this is this is the uh, the the massive piece of the subconscious programming, and, and the the piece that I help clients to see is that it's not your fault. Like I have a whole presentation that I show people that you know I. I I break out and I show you how this culture is set up and what you're ingesting, what you're watching Mm -hmm. and how that affects your subconscious mind. And then I go, is it any mystery why you're destroying yourself on every level imaginable? It's really not that it's, it shouldn't be that hard. And even the fact that you have the conversation in your head that it's hard is self-sabotage right there. You know, I've had clients that say like, I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to like, you know, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to work hard to get healthy. And I'm like, well, what if getting healthy was easy and effortless? Yeah. <laughs> because health is your natural state. And so we have to reprogram the subconscious mind to believe that it's easy, there's ease, and that you're abundant, you're healthy, and you have everything you need already inside of you. And the only thing that people have to understand is that, you know, look, I'm, I'm 47 years old. So, you know, I took in a lot of TV, movies, like everybody else, right? I live in yeah. this culture. And so these things, like it's it's the the fact of the matter is they all matter. Some things matter more than others, but everything matters. And so you have to come to realize that the subconscious mind is taking in infinitely more information than your conscious mind, and it drives 95 to 97% of how you do your life. So you can't strong arm the subconscious mind. It's impossible. So the only way that you can uh, basically reprogram it is to do what they're doing which is to embed messages in there that you actually want. Mm-hmm. And you have to tell your subconscious mind that you're part of an abundant, healthy, and wealthy tribe. And the results are immediate. The results are immediate. It's I, When I coach clients, it's like you have this window, this opening, and you're like, oh my gosh, Like, look at what I see possible. This is amazing. And then what happens is after we get off the call, it, like the window starts to go like this, starts to shrink and starts to get smaller because you have 40 some odd years of your groove, your old pattern built in. And so it's like going in the gym. You have to continually work that muscle to keep that opening getting wider and wider and wider. Before you know it, it's your autonomic response. Like I have, uh, you know, my wife or whatever will be out and it's like, do you want this, this, you know, this junk food or whatever? And it's like, no, because it actually doesn't even fit into the realm of like how my mind works. Yeah. Like if I sat down hypothetically and, and turned on like, you know, some of this TV programming like Game of Thrones or whatever. Like I go into like, you know, I'm like, my heart rate is going up. I'm getting all like, oh my God. And I'm like, I can't even watch this. 
it's like I, I don't even have any resonance with it. And what I've discovered in the last couple of years, and this is why I think what you're doing is so awesome, is like I've had moments where I'm like, I've spent so much time being in that yang energy of like, I'm gonna bench as much as I can. I'm gonna yeah. like, I'm gonna grind myself. And now I'm like fascinated by like, I just want to sit here and like open up my chest and take some deep breaths and like move my body and and do that yin work, like bringing energy back into the body, like walking outside barefoot in the woods and being like, gosh, it just feels so amazing to be alive right. and taking energy back in, which is like so sorely lacking in our culture. Everything is about like me. It's all ego. It's me, 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 go, go, go. I'm going to crush my goals. Like get out of my way. I got to get mine. And I really feel that, you know, the work that you're doing with like indigenous peoples and like the, like the culture was so much more about respect, respecting elders, respecting life. And if you, if you uh, killed an animal for food, you would use every part of it. And there was a, there was a connection to the seasons and, and to the environment. And I really feel that that is where we require to go back to. Yeah. Because we've all, we've all entered into this, uh, this kind of transactional relationship with our environment. And we've already become sort of transhuman. It's like, I'm going to go into the store and I'm going to grab this package of meat off the store. I had no idea where this animal come, came from. I, I didn't have to actually grab a knife and kill it. And, uh, you know, I think if we had a, more of a connection to how these things are sourced and how the circle of life actually works, you just have more respect for your place in that circle. And you would right. have a deeper appreciation for life. And I just, for me, I would hate to go through my entire life without having a deeper appreciation for, you know, like my fellow man and how we all are sharing collectively this experience called life, this beautiful gift called life. Yeah. And that comes from community, us being together. Like, I think other cultures have it a lot more correct. It's like, if you and I were physically together and we were like, you know, gardening together or raising a barn together, or like doing life together. Then I would understand Doug. I would understand you inside and out. I know the very fiber of your being. And that's really like the, the texture and the, the stuff of life. And that's really what I feel like is, is like I call out for, like my soul calls out for. I want real connection, not this, uh, you know, I'm just on my phone. I'm trying to come up with like a cool thing to say on Facebook and, right. and I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can, right, to help people and to, to be a conduit. But I really feel that what is like, like I'm a beacon for is that we all come together and we start to put all this technology in its proper place and realize who we are. And it's like, it's embedded in our DNA. People go like, I don't know how to garden. I don't know how to do Like, yeah, you do. <laughs> right. Right. No, I think that's a great place to kind of uh, wrap it up with. Actually, uh, we start, we started with this notion of connection you know, and we're getting back around to how, especially with the younger generations, how can we allow them the opportunity to maybe have the connections that have been so challenging for us? I think, I mean, I know I've been actually thinking a lot about um, using my heart, thinking with my heart instead of my head. I mean, I think that's part of what happens. I mean, you, you once you're traumatized over and over again, then you don't trust your heart anymore. You, and your head becomes that, that focus, that center of where you're making your choices from. And that's just, again, that's that logical ego conscious mind. It's not, you're not taking hold of your entire 
you know, your entire ener energetic field, your subconscious force that would be located in your heart, you're not feeling from your heart anymore. And making those heart connections and getting back to that place, um, you know, maybe that really is the optimal health that we're, that we're trying to achieve here. Maybe that's the end goal of really the entire movement, I think, well, is the, to create, right, family and community from the heart. Well, the, the, to, to wrap it all up, and this is like the biggest thing that I could leave you with and everybody listening is that, you know, optimal health, right? It's like, it is these things to do, but ultimately it's about loving yourself, mm -hmm. like loving yourself, like really, really, really loving yourself. Like you're enough. Right. And just really embodying that. And we have so much in our lives where we just beat ourselves up. It's not this. And I'm, I'm guilty of it as anybody. But it's really about forgiving, letting go, embracing one another, and realizing that we're all on the same team. We're all on the same journey. We're all experiencing this beautiful thing called life, and we're just doing the best we can. And it really comes down to like, look, you, you probably embedded in your subconscious is messages from your childhood, either whether it was from TV or movies or teachers or influences you had that you know set you up for a life of being afraid of failure and, and not measuring up and all the rest of that stuff. And I'm here to tell you that you're whole, complete and perfect as you are. And you just have to allow yourself to embrace your greatness and that you are enough. And that is the definition of optimal health, because when you really embody that, when you really own that, you won't allow yourself to drive through Chick-fil-A. You yeah. won't allow yourself to drink Coca-Cola or drink uh, vodka on a Friday night and get completely wasted and hammered because that's not how an adult treats a body and a, a soul that they're in love with. You treat it with respect and, and you cherish it. So that's really what it's about. And that's why the subconscious mind and overcoming your own self-sabotaging uh, self behaviors is so, I'm so passionate about it because it is the umbrella that everything else falls underneath. Well, sounds good, Ted. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and I hope people take uh, some of what we've talked about today really to heart uh, and think about how to love themselves enough to to pursue optimal health and how to kind of start to transcend some of these cultural uh, conditionings that really hold so many people back and and keep people in that track of that corporate day-to-day -day, working in the cubicle feeling unfulfilled uh, but doing it because they think it's the only way that they can get that paycheck that can pay those bills and and get the kid to college or you know make sure you have the health insurance or what I mean so many people trapped in that cycle and uh, learning how to, to to love ourselves pursuing optimal health being open to the abundance that the universe has to offer uh, is really a possibility for everybody and and uh, you're helping them figure out how to get there so uh, really appreciate the work that you do and thanks again for coming on the show do you want to let people know where they can find out about Hanix health and and learn more about your work yeah yeah so you can you can uh, check me out on Facebook it's just Ted Hanick or you can add me uh, on uh, Facebook obviously I'm on Instagram it's Hanick health I have hanickhealth.com you can email me directly. It's just ted at hannockhealth.com. And uh, thank you so much, Doug, for all the work that you're doing and for uh, a beautiful conversation. I mean, we we covered a lot of ground. Yep. Yep. So uh, I, I hope people got real value from this. And it was an absolute honor and privilege to share some time with you. So thank you very much.
You bet, Ted. And I'll just let people know that if you like what you're hearing, uh, please uh, like, subscribe, and share. I'm counting on uh, all of my listeners to help distribute this information. Uh, You can also find out more about The Shift and uh, my other programs. I'm doing a Psychology of Lockdown series, also a COVID-specific news show called Behind the Line. All of that information is at www.theshiftnow.com. And I urge everyone to sign up for the newsletter, and then I'll send you Uh, at least twice a month, uh, all of everything that uh, I'm producing out of the studio uh, and all of the interviews that are coming out of the shift. Uh, And also you can find me on Facebook. My personal page is kind of blowing up, so you can just find Doug McKenty on Facebook. Uh, I also have the Shift with Doug McKenty YouTube channel and Telegram channel, and I am on Twitter at McKenty. So uh, thanks, everybody, for checking this one out, and thanks again, Ted, for coming on the show. Have a great day. All right, all right. There was my conversation with Ted Hainick of Hainick's Health. Um, I really enjoyed that. I've actually, uh, I've, wor- I've been working with Ted a little bit behind the scenes, and I think he's going to become uh, more and more a part uh, of the shift. I'd like to kind of uh, start to promote this health angle. Um, you know, I've spent years, and I think maybe a lot of you have too, arguing my way to truth, trying to convince other people um, that, you know, uh, this is true because it's logical. Look at my primary source material. Look at these peer-reviewed documents. Why don't you get it, you know? Why, why can't you at least respect what I'm talking about? And with, uh, with the COVID thing, um, it's just become more and more in your face where it's like, wait a minute, you know, maybe the lockdowns, straight to lockdown wasn't the way to go. Maybe this state of emergency where we've eliminated our democracy, uh, annihilated our right to freedom of assembly, uh, uh, started to censor uh, people that have uh, differing perspectives on on how we should be handling this, uh, this disease. Um, you know, it's really made everything kind of come to the forefront for me of, well, we're not going to argue our way out of this. I mean, most of the people that I know, probably most of the people that you know, are happy enough to go along. And it just became so apparent to me that it's not about what logic says or what critical thinking says. It's that the vast majority of the people want to do what Dr. Fauci tells them. So what's going on, you know? And I started to really realize that it was psychological, and I I started doing the the Psychology of Lockdown series with George so we could really kind of get to the heart of this. Uh, And lo and behold, I've been learning so much over the last 12 months about uh, what are the characteristics of mystification, what are uh, the rules of dysfunction, what are these patterns that happen in families that are in dysfunctional relationships, what happens to a person who endures emotional trauma because of controlling behavior. Uh, I did the episode uh, maybe a month ago, six weeks ago now, with Donald Jeffries about the bullyocracy. Like, let's think about that. What was it like for you in school? Did you feel bullied? Did you endure emotional trauma? Even if your family is super healthy, you go to school and you disagree with what the teacher says and you get a failing grade, and that's shaming, right? If you don't do what you're told, if you don't regurgitate what you're told from age five until you graduate from high school or college, you're looking at 12 plus years of, of having it ingrained in your psychology that you need to do what you're told. You need to believe what you're told or else you're going to get a failing grade. You need to regurgitate what you've been told or else you're going to be shamed. 
I mean, this is in and of itself. I mean, it's classic emotional, uh, emotionally damaging behavior, and that's if you have a perfect family. And how many of us had that? I mean, we don't live in a culture that has taken emotional health seriously for, what, hundreds of years? Generations upon generations? War after war after war, where none of these fathers coming home from war have healed from their post-traumatic stress syndrome, and they've just passed that emotional trauma, that damage, down to their kids who pass it down to their kids who pass it down to their kids. So there's no emotional healing coming on. So... I started listening to, uh, you know, George and, and others and thinking, my God, you know, maybe I have my own problems. <laughs> and uh, I looked up Ted. I've actually been through his self-sabotage course myself. Uh, it was really helpful for me, and Ted and I have become friends, and I'd like to incorporate his work. I think there's going to be a, a page up on the website uh, to help people find a Ted self-sabotage course, because I think this has got to be the direction, really, even of the entire movement. Like, we can no longer afford to sit around and show primary sources to people, you know, who are going to go, well, that that just doesn't matter, because Dr. Fauci said this, and he knows what science says, and science says this, and so I'm going to do that. And you're like, what about this scientific paper right here? What about this other scientist who disagrees with Fauci? Doesn't matter, right? Just doing what the authority figure says. Uh, and so there's this, this new attitude that I'm having about emotional health is actually twofold. One, we can have compassion for these people that aren't engaging, aren't willing to engage in a free society and simply feel subconsciously compelled to follow the authority for fear of being shamed, uh, following these classic patterns of emotional, uh, emotionally abusive behavior, growing up in emotionally abusive environments. Um, or, you know, we can take the power back. We can recognize that these people need to be healed. Uh, and instead of getting frustrated, instead of not understanding why they can't at least acknowledge that we have this other point of view, we can start to step back and say, oh, you know, we need to help them to heal from their emotional trauma. We can have compassion for, for the, the bulk of the people around us just doing what they're told, and we can have an understanding of what's really going on, uh, why logical conversation is not going to work to change the world, right? But maybe this emotional healing path is. Now, not only just thinking of this in terms of those people that we disagree with, but in terms of our own scene, right? We all have emotional trauma people, right? <laughs> And the stronger that we are, the more we're going to be able to deal with the challenges that are clearly coming. We're already hearing today about uh, gas running out on the East Coast, uh, inflation problems, the, the lumber inflation prices going up. I don't think this is going to stop. I think a lot of us can feel it. We know that the banks are going to want to issue the central bank digital currency. Well, got to crash the dollar before they before people are going to go clamoring for, for a digital currency. Uh, so we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us. And how are we going to deal with that ourselves? Well, the, the healthier we are emotionally, uh, then the more capable we're going to be of taking care of our own. And that's, in my mind, becoming more and more important. Not just, you know, fighting the revolution, changing other people's minds, but really in within the truth community, what do we got to do to protect our own at this point uh, as the vaccine passports roll out, as, uh, as we're going to get more and more propaganda about how the anti-vaxxers are really, uh, you know, domestic terrorists uh, and uh, they're not going to be able to travel. They're not going to be able to use the currencies. Uh, I mean, who knows the direction that this is headed, but certainly we're seeing a lot of these kind of technologies 
coming down the pike. And so the stronger and healthier that we can be on this emotional level, uh, I think the healthier and the better capable we'll all be of weathering the storm that seems to be coming up uh, up here in the next couple of years of taking care of our own. So um, that's why I'm, I'm kind of shifting, if you will, uh, the show over into this more health-oriented. I've always been such a, an economics person, a politics person, um, you know, a philosophy person. Um, but more and more, I'm wanting to get into this, uh, this emotional health, uh, maybe start doing some shows about Tai Chi, about yoga, about the internal energy system and how it works. Um, I mean, I'm not going to drop the politics entirely, but I am starting to do some other shows more specific uh, behind the line, also with George Roach, uh, that is more COVID-specific news. And I think I'm going to start a new show um, in discussion with Jason Bosch about maybe doing a technocracy and crypto show, which will be more politics and economics based. And then the shift can really be principally about this shift uh, into emotional health. Uh, and a lot of the different modalities that we can start to use uh, to make this transition. So um, I was really happy to have this conversation with Ted um, because I've I've gotten to know him on a personal level, and m- more than you know, a lot of my shows are, are more academic. I read somebody's works. So I'm I'm talking about their you know their their uh, whatever their work is, whatever their book was about. Um, whatever their area of expertise is. But with Ted, it was like we could just sit down and re- we could really have a conversation about, about our lives. Uh, and, you know, something that really struck me, actually, the thing about it that he was talking about, he mentioned this term optimal health. And I just want to bring that up because I think that once you get that in your mind, that like we should all be working towards optimal health, right? And when we are and we take that personal responsibility then we start to really individuate, right? We're on our own path to discover what optimal health is for us. And we find out that optimal health uh, has nothing to do with what Big Pharma is selling, right? (laughs) Big Pharma is patching us up, covering up the symptoms, getting us to go back to work. Uh, They're not teaching us how to live our best life. Uh, And that's where we got to go with this. We got to separate ourselves, I think. I mean, this is where I'm going with it. Separating myself from this overall system, this nine to five grind, finding uh, the meaning of life in deeper places, in the family connections that Ted was talking about, for example, something I'm sure we all could be working on, right? Um, And so when we start thinking about optimal health, we really start going on this journey uh, that takes us into a different space. Uh, we take personal responsibility for how we treat ourselves. Um, and we start to recognize that good food and good water and making good choices are really where health is at. Um, and then the other thing that Ted brought up that I wanted to quickly discuss with you is this idea, and I don't know what it's like. I mean, I can't speak for, for all the ladies out there, but I think a lot of men have the same experience that Ted and I describe, where a lot of what we do, especially in our 20s and 30s, and Ted and I are both in our 40s now, so you start to learn these lessons, right? <laughs> Hopefully. But um, when you're in your 20s and 30s, if you really look underneath that, your personality, you're going to find a lot of frustration and anger is what's driving so many, uh, so many of the young men uh, to do what they do. And it's like life is like an endurance test, you know, and you're getting up and you're, you know, you're going to do it. You're going to make it happen. Whatever you have to do, you're going to push yourself. 
Uh, Ted talked about, um, you know, working out, working out super hard to kind of get that frustration and that anger out. Uh, and then you, you know, maybe it is you hit a certain age and you've got to realize that like, wow, I mean, this isn't what life is about trying to, trying to prove yourself, you know, we need to relax, we need to de-stress and we need to find the deeper meaning in the emotional connections and we need to stop these self-sabotaging behaviors so we can really discover what optimal health is all about. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to working closer with Ted again, I think you're going to see, uh, you're going to see, I'm going to put a link up for, for Hainix Health, uh, and we're going to continue to work with each other because I want to start to offer to the audience now, some of what he's been able to give to me, which is just an understanding of, of really being able to look at yourself, look at your subconscious programming, how you can work on yourself to, to kind of do this shadow work, to work through this anger and this frustration that's beneath so much of what we're doing every day. And start to find a meaning of life in, in, the, in the love and the compassion and the joy and the happiness and the gratitude for what we've been given here, uh, this life of abundance. Uh, certainly, if we, can, uh, if we can overcome a, a lot of what these guys at the top of the pyramid are doing to us, could we just imagine the world we could create? Uh, the abundance is there for us. All we have to do is grab it. The technology is here. Um, you know, the, the economy could be... Uh, sustainable, natural, connected, local economies. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to live where we're just working for for the machine, right? Where we're just cogs in the wheel. And this idea of emotional health and these ideas that Ted are talking about. I mean, are how to how to kind of separate ourselves, take a step back, de-stress, and forge our own way forward into the future based on health, based on optimal health. So I hope what he said uh, kind of grabbed you as much as it's grabbed me. Again, uh, there will be more information coming up on the website. Uh, you can find Ted's stuff at www.hanichealth.com if you want to uh, do one of his detoxes or sign up for one of his self-sabotage um, coaching sessions. I, I would recommend it. Uh, he does a great job. Uh, or if you just want to check out uh, one of his videos on how to cut out the coffee in your life, right? <laughs> how to get rid of some of the bad habits that are really holding you back. How to drink the really good water that's going to take your life to the next level. Uh, Ted's got a lot of information, so you can check it out again, www.hanichealth.com. And of course, uh, you can find out more about The Shift. I've got a number of programs now behind the line, The Psychology of Lockdown, The Shift, and hopefully this uh, crypto and technocracy show uh, maybe coming up around the corner. So a lot of free content uh, up at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, think about subscribing for the newsletter because I think that's the best way I can just get all of everything new that I produce out to you straight through the newsletter and we don't have to worry about the uh, the big tech censorship and all the rest of it. And of course, if you want to catch the full length uh, features, feature episodes without the 30% or so that I that I cut out, uh, for the free versions, then uh, you can subscribe for six bucks a month at the shift as well. So that's www.theshiftnow.com for all of that good stuff. And of course, you can catch me uh, on Facebook, my personal page blowing up a little bit, Doug McKinty. I also have a The Shift with Doug McKinty page on Facebook. Uh, I'm on YouTube 
uh, and Telegram at The Shift with Doug McKenty and on Twitter at D McKenty. Uh, so you can find me there. Hopefully we can connect that way. But again, check out the website, www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, and I'm going to keep uh, doing some more work on that. I'm starting to build it up. I think it's going to... Um, it's going to become kind of a one-stop shop for a lot of these health issues. I'm thinking about starting to uh, teach Tai Chi uh, out of the website. I need to kind of figure out how to monetize a little bit. Doing the podcast is super fun, but I've got to make it. I've got to eat, right? <laughs> so, so uh, there will be some some uh, some changes coming to the website, including uh, a lot of uh, information uh, that'll connect you with Ted. And Ted and I are going to be working together to try to create optimal health for uh, all of you ladies and gentlemen out there. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed having that conversation with Ted. And we'll be back next week with even more stuff. I'm keeping it coming. Not going to quit now, that's for sure. You guys have a great week. We'll talk soon. Take care.